and welcome to Diversity Ever After, a Baker Donaldson DNI podcast. We are professionals focused on creating an honest and accepting space for ourselves, our community, and our listeners. Here at Diversity Ever After, we raise awareness of DNI workplace and social issues, we advocate for increased representation and inclusion, and we navigate uncomfortable but necessary conversations. Inclusion starts with I, so we invite you to listen and become in touch, in tune, and inclusive. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Diversity Ever After. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Tania Clayton, and I'm a health law associate in Baker Donaldson's Nashville office. I am joined today by my lovely co-host, Nikimali. Nikimali, do you want to introduce yourself in case we have some new listeners joining us? Sure. I am Nikimali Davis Primer, a shareholder in our Jackson, Mississippi office, primarily practicing labor and employment. I'm excited about this conversation today, Tania. Awesome. Very excited to get started. We have a special guest joining us today from Growth Play. I think she'll bring a great perspective to our conversation. So I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell us a little bit about what she does, particularly in working with attorneys. Well, fantastic. I am delighted to be here. Um, my name is Alicia Suter, and I'm one of the managing directors of Growth Play. Growth Play focuses on helping lawyers grow and accelerate the revenue uh, opportunities of their practices. Um, I'm coming to you today, not only um, with the identification of uh, being a managing director of Growth Play, but some of the other identities I bring into this conversation is that I am an adopted Korean-American cisgendered woman. I am a mother of teenagers and a oldest of four siblings um, and um, a partner of a woman-owned, women-led business. So some of the identities that perhaps give you a little insight into my point of view. It definitely helps with a lot of our conversations and topics that we cover just to have an idea of how everyone identifies. And I think um, since you've shared that with us, we are all minorities and women on this call and parents. So that kind of helps shape everything for us. And now that we've introduced everyone, I think we can get right into our topic. In season two of our podcast, we've been covering the topic of privilege and often our minds immediately go to white privilege, but we've been highlighting many different forms of privilege, including able-bodied privilege and others that are less talked about, what it means to be an insider or an outsider. So please listen to those episodes. But today we're gonna be tackling the topic of tokenism. And so I'll start just by saying what that means. I know some of our listeners may not be familiar, at least with the term, they may know of, of the practice, but. Um, tokenism is defined as the practice of making only a perfunctory or symbolic effort to do a particular thing, especially by recruiting a small number of people from underrepresented groups in order to give the appearance of sexual or racial equality within a workforce. And that pretty much aligns with what I always thought of as tokenism, which is sort of a way to create the illusion of inclusivity while excluding those tokenized individuals in decision-making processes and not giving them responsibilities, which I think can be detrimental to recruitment efforts, retention, engagement, effective client service, really every aspect. And it's really the result of aiming to get some form of diversity, but not having that inclusion piece. So I wanted to see what you all's thoughts were on those definitions and if you had anything to add to them. Some other things that I saw was really simple where they said diversity 
without inclusion is tokenism. And I thought that was extremely interesting because you have that representation there, but if you're not engaging that person, welcoming that person, giving them a voice, giving them power, as you just stated, that's tokenism. Another definition I saw that really made me lift an eyebrow was that tokenism is the exploitation of someone's identity in order to check a diversity box. And I thought that was very interesting because it's really exploiting uh, an identity feature of another person for purposes of just demonstrating that illusion, Tania mentioned, that you are inclusive, that you have a climate here that's welcoming to people of various kinds. And that, to me, Alicia, really goes back to your initial comments about your identity factors. So someone taking those things and saying, because we want to be perceived as this welcoming, warm, diverse environment, let's hire Alicia, let's let her you know, sit here so people can see how diverse we are, and they're really exploiting that. So I'd be interested to get your thoughts on it as well. Yeah, I already love this conversation so much. And one of the things that I, I think I've, I've probably just experienced is that I've experienced situations where there is deliberate or intentional tokenism and where I probably have been tokenized, I suppose, um, but probably not out of bad intent where it has been less conscious. And so I think it, it can run the spectrum. And one of the things that I think we're pulling out in this conversation or pulling apart is, you know, where in that spectrum does it fall to, uh, to the space where people are simply stopping at creating an appearance of diversity? And where does tokenism sort of represent people's genuine sort of first step in, a, in a, a desire to be more inclusive, but they just haven't gone far enough. And that's one of the things that I, I sort of hope to bring out is both a manager leader, um, but also somebody who is a proponent advocate and then also just cares deeply about diversity and inclusion that I think that there are many places on that spectrum that people fall. And if we are aware, of the interest and the intent behind it, we can pull people along with us in a positive or constructive direction. I like that part, especially when you said the spectrum of is this just a first step and they just haven't gone far enough because, you know, sometimes people do this and maybe they do have that genuine intent that no, we're not hiring you just because you're, you know, you're black, for example, we think you're amazing and you can do the job but they need to know that that hire is not enough. Like there has to be action behind it that Absolutely. welcomes that person, gives that person a voice, and gives that person an equal opportunity to really integrate into that environment. 100%. Yep, I agree with all of that. And I, I like to use myself as the example because I was one of Baker Donaldson's diversity scholarship recipients and, um, you know, that can be an instance where you kind of come into it feeling like, you know, can I really do this job? Did I only get it because I'm a minority? Um, and I can say that I feel good about that. I know that my team values my input. They value what I can do for the firm. Um, I've gotten plenty of opportunities since I've been here this first year. And I contrast that with experiences I had, um, you know, as a child, I went to a private school, predominantly white institution. And I, I always think of this one example of they needed to have an ad. It was going in Parent Magazine, and they had me, 
holding hands with a little Asian girl with three white kids around us. And at the time, you know, I didn't think anything of that. But looking back at it, I'm just like, wow, they really just plastered my face on here, smiling face to look like, you know, we have people of all, you know, all minorities, all genders, all everything. And it wasn't really true. And so, and that's not one of those instances where they were taking that first step because, you know, we came to the school and and applied and got in. And it's just something to think about that spectrum, like you mentioned, you know, was that exploitation of this small child who just thought, oh, I get to get my picture taken and get out of class when really it was sort of a message that maybe wasn't that good. But I want to hear you all's experiences. Alicia, I'll start with you. Um, have you had a, ch a time where you felt like, you know, I'm the only one, I, I'm the token here. And, and did you feel any sort of insecurities about whether you were the right person for, for the task? Oh my goodness, I'm sure, yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. Um, probably too many to count. And in some ways, I have a hard time pointing to a specific circumstance or situation where I felt I was being tokenized or trying being exploited, but because I was often the only diverse person in many situations growing up, I also grew up in predominantly white community. Um, I probably, Tania, I was laughing at your example of being pulled into that photograph because if I weren't so much older than you, I'd be like, oh, I think I was in that photograph with you. You know, so I know I've been in those situations so often, but I've, I think my default perception has always just been, it's because I happen to be the only one. And therefore it was obvious that I was somewhat included in that perspective. And um, I have learned, I think in, in my situation to try to take or make the best advantage of the opportunities, because I think that often being the only one gives us both a responsibility, but an opportunity to use that situation to lead and impact influence and, and impact others to push their thinking. And that's sort of the, the theme that I'll, I'll probably walk away from today is, you know, how do we better push people's thinking so that they move along the spectrum further than when they start with me, for whatever reason they've chosen me to participate. Um, I'm happy to have a seat at the table and then I'm gonna use it to the best of my ability. <laughs> and I like that part because it's so easy to fall into the imposter syndrome category when you're in that position. Like, why am I here? I'm the only one. Do I really have what it takes? But if we can switch our mindset to I am here, I belong here, regardless of what other people think or regardless of how I got here, I'm here now. Let me use this opportunity to my absolute best. And to do exactly what you just said, and that's push that spectrum along. You know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, I guess back in the 70s, that her appointment as the first female tenured law professor at Columbia Law School was, quote, a serious effort on the part of the school to hire more women faculty members. And then she added, quote, I know I am not just the token, 
I expect that I will be the first of many women professors the law school will have. And so I think that's the thought. Like we go in and maybe I'm here, maybe some people will perceive me as a token, and maybe that was the starting point. But you know what? I'm going to rewrite this narrative and make this what it needs to be, and that is an open door for other people behind me to come in and have another seat at the table and another seat at the table to where we do get to the level of inclusion that we really need. I love that, Nikki Molly. Rewrite the narrative. Rewrite the narrative in the way that you want the story to end. And we also talked about you may be the first one, but that is really an opportunity to open the door for others or to be a role model for people that may be coming behind you. And I like to give the example of my husband. He's a teacher, and as a black male, that is very uncommon. He works with a lot of women for one and not many um, people of color and the kids just love him and look up to him so much so that really gives him that opportunity to show you know black men can do this so with mckimley with you being a shareholder as a black woman that is another area where it's not super common so i wanted to hear about your experiences and how you sort of try to give back and keep that door open behind you I think it's so important to mentor, yep. to sponsor, to, to raise people's names when they aren't around, to beg and plead amazing associates like Tania to lead the podcast and do all these things so they get recognition and their name is out there. And then I can say when I'm having other conversations, hey, call on Tania, call on all these other individuals, get to know them. Great, they're amazing. These are things that they're doing. So I think it's about using my role and my visibility that I'm starting to gain to help others along the way. I love that. That's definitely a great thing. And you also do the diversity trainings, and that sort of helps with getting the message out there on a wider scale for how other people in the firm or with other employers, what they can do to sort of get that inclusive piece, because that's what we said we're missing when you have tokenism um, exhibited. And so, Alicia, with some of the law firms that you have worked with, have you had any instances where it seemed like maybe certain members of the team weren't being effectively used, and did that sort of impact the client service that the firm was able to provide? Uh, Certainly, again, I suspect that there's a wide spectrum of intentionality, but I have certainly seen many circumstances where there will be a diverse attorney in the midst of a sea of predominantly white faces. Uh, Does that impact the level of client experience? How can it not? (laughs) Because we know that the research will tell us objectively that diverse perspectives, experiences, right, um, points of view create better outcomes, a richer set of outcomes. Um, We get to better solutions when we have a a broad array of strengths around the table. Um, And one of the things that I'm a believer of is that it's not just about diversity from a demographics perspective, but it's always thinking about the richness of strengths and assets and perspectives, even in how we think about the types of expertise or the strength sets, same types of lawyers, but the different strength sets they bring. Are they strategists versus people who mind the details versus people who are relational versus task focused? And so I just think always having that that inclination to think about who's at the table and then who's not at the table and do we have enough difference amongst us 
when if we don't, we're not really giving the create or creating the best outcome for our clients or frankly for our team because there's no such thing as a well-rounded person, just a well-rounded team. Oh, that's so awesome because there's this quote Anna needs to need, and I don't know if I'm saying her name right, but it, she basically says we don't see things as they are, we see things as we are. And that's so true because we see things from the perspective that we've lived, the life experiences we've had. And if we don't have other people with those different perspectives there, like you said, it doesn't allow us to be as openly and authentically unique and creative and innovative as we believe to be, that we are. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. We really aren't well-rounded until we have that nice, diverse mix of backgrounds, perspectives, and opinions at the table. That's definitely so true, so true that you need that diverse perspective. Like you said, there's research behind it. We know that it's true, and that's really why we want to strive for diverse teams, not just to give those people an opportunity, but also so that we're doing the best job and providing the best service that we can and making sure that we're seeing a full picture when we are advising clients on certain things so my other question sort of related to that, you said that you see a lot of times one diverse face in a sea of, of many white people on the team. Do you think the burden should be on that minority to take ownership and say, hey, I'm not being included. I'm not getting any work on this matter, but you brought me in and I'm on the list. Or should the leaders sort of take the charge and make sure that everyone is being utilized? I don't think that there's a one size fits one answer or fits all answer. I, I do think there's a blend of responsibilities. And frankly, I think sometimes being the only diverse person, um, if we don't push the envelope, who will? Um, because those folks who are in the majority either have no awareness that something needs to be different or they have no desire, right? At worst. And so I think that there is um, a recognition that even though it may not be fair, um, there if we want it to be, be better, uh, sometimes I do have to go first and carry the mantle. Um, I think when we are in positions of power, though, the onus is on leaders to become more aware and to ask the questions and make it okay for people to question why aren't there other perspectives around the table um, and why are or how could we be doing better to allow people to not just be part of the team, but to also share in the power of the team. I think that's an incredibly important piece. And so as leaders, regardless of whether we're diverse or not, uh, I think the best leaders have a responsibility ultimately, morally, ethically, um, and just from a performance perspective to make it okay for the team to constantly be challenging the status quo. So I do think that there's responsibility on all sides. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree too, Tania. Um, it, it, I, I agree with the unfair part <laughs> because it's like you brought me here and then I have to speak up and tell you what you should, you know, how you should best utilize all of my amazing skills and talents, you know. I know I'm beautiful sitting here, but use these other skills too. Um, so, yeah, it is unfair, but we have that voice. Again, you're there. If you have that opportunity, use it. And I think something that may prevent people from doing that is maybe they don't feel comfortable doing it or they don't feel like they have the support on the team to do it. 
So, you know, I'd be interested in your thoughts on, on that. Yeah, and Kimberly, I think there's always a cost benefit analysis that has to be run in any situation. Uh, you know, I, again, I'm a big proponent for people to think about how we're maximizing our sphere of influence and impact um, and to use it wisely and, and fully. And yet there are circumstances in which, frankly, the cost it would require doesn't make sense given the benefit or the outcome to be gained. And so, you know, I, I would encourage people to, to be thoughtful and make sure that they're protecting uh, the, their own well-being um, by asking themselves, you know, what do I stand to gain? Um, who else stands to gain or lose? What will it cost me to exercise influence and impact and can I afford it? Right. Um, in terms of my mental health, my the time and effort, and all of the other things I'm I'm trying to steward in terms of resources. So I think that that's important. The other thing I would add too is as people are thinking about sort of their role and responsibility and opportunity to to help make change, that I think that there are three roles we can play. Um, I think there's the trailblazer role, who's willing to sort of strike out and trailblaze, right, into doing things new and, and be the adventurer and the leader. Um, but that often comes with risks of being ignored alone, right, um, isolated. And so if we play a trailblazer or find ourselves needing to be a trailblazer in our organizations or situations, I think one of the, the most important things for those types of people to do is to actively seek out other trailblazers because that role or position dies or wilts if they feel too disconnected or alone. I think the other role that we can play are, is that we can be an illuminator. So if we're not going to be the trailblazer, can we, how can we help shine light or amplify or tell the stories right, of, of people who are doing that hard work within our teams or organizations? Um, so being the ally. And then there's also being the advocate, so the protector. Um, and when I find myself in a position of power, Right, where I can influence other power brokers, I think we've got to exercise that to the extent that we can. And so those are the three positions I, I'm often looking, you know, given what's going on in my team and my organization in this particular set of circumstances, can I play one of those three roles well? And does the cost benefit analysis make sense? I love it. Pick your battles. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. On the playing field, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I love that. That is definitely a great thing to think about. How can I fit in? I don't have to be the trailblazer if that's not my my personality. I don't feel comfortable doing that, something like that. And maybe I just point the issue out and kind of step back, just let it be known. Or once I get into that position of power, that's my chance to really try to make a difference. And I think we've definitely covered the fact that tokenism is really detrimental on all sides because we're not being inclusive. We don't want diversity without the inclusion and the equity part of it. So I guess I'll let us kind of wrap up and just see, Alicia, if you have any parting words of guidance for any of those individuals, whether it's the people in power or the people who, who are the minorities. You know, my parting words would just be that I think we always have more influence than we think. In fact, there's a book that aggregates all of the social science and data on this written by Vanessa Bonds, and I've been reading it recently. Um, one of the things that it does is give me great comfort. And one of the key findings is that people notice our presence much more than we realize. So again, getting an opportunity to be in the room where, where things happen or to be have a seat at the table or just be part of the team, I, I think is often a critical first step. 
and however we get there, um, then to, to leverage and maximize sort of that opportunity to its fullest, fullest extent. I think that's where collectively we can continue to really push forward the momentum that I see happening in pockets um, and certainly over the, the past 20 months, even more so. We have definitely covered some great topics today and we'll be sure to put Alicia's information um, in the description if you all want to find out more about what she does. But we definitely enjoyed this topic. It's something that isn't talked about enough, I think, and we want you all to continue to tune in to the rest of our season on privilege and all types that are involved. Thank you so much. This has been Diversity Ever After. Bye. Thank you for listening to Diversity Ever After, a Baker Donaldson DNI podcast. We hope that this conversation has made you feel more seen, valued, and empowered to become in touch, in tune, and inclusive in your day-to-day interactions. Remember that inclusion starts with I. Until next time, please like, comment, and share this episode.